Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. Well, we're going to wrap up our uh, creation series this morning. So where are we going to be at? What, what chapter, of, what book are we going to be in? Genesis, uh, probably what chapter are we going to deal with at least? One at least, right? Maybe somewhere else too, right? Two? <laughs> Anyhow, we're going to wrap this up this morning. And uh, yeah, I, I almost forgot I was one of the speakers here after having a guest last week, a missionary guest, and had a good time. By the way, when we took him out to lunch, he was just as funny then as he was when he was on the platform. <laughs> He's a good guy and has a heart for God. And just really, it was really cool to have him last week. Uh, but this morning, as we, as we go through the Word of God, we're going to uh, look together, and, and we've talked about some of the, how God has made these uh, repeatable seasons, uh, and those seasons are in our lives. We've talked about several things that He's done in creation. There are going to be times of harvest. There's going to be times to plant and to sow, and there's going to be times of revival in the spring and such, and uh, the different things that God works in our lives. But We're all in different seasons of our lives, but this morning, we're going to knock out two of the big days of creation. These are two big days, day six and day seven. Day six, uh, God is creating uh, all the animals on the land, and then he ends up with the pinnacle of creation, which is people or mankind. And then we have day seven. And day seven, creation of creation was done. God was done with creation, and he rested, right? And so we're going to look a little bit at those. We don't have a a whole lot of time to deal with all of it, but if you'll give me an extra ten minutes, we should be able to get it all done if everybody added together, right? Okay. And, uh, yeah, don't worry. Genesis chapter 1, verse 24 and 25. And God said... Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. So what God was creating, what he was forming, he saw that, hey, this stuff is good. He liked it. He must have been bored. I don't know. And he decided he wanted some things with him. And so he formed these things. So day day six, though, in my book, had to be a fun day. God had to enjoy himself. You know, sometimes uh, we get a misunderstanding of who God is. I'm sure because we're made in his image uh, that God also had probably a little bit of joy. I'm sure he wasn't like a person who just ate five cloths and pickles. And, uh, you know, I'm sure he was, he was, uh, had a, didn't have a sour face, but he had a joy. And, and, and I'm sure he had that when he was creating. Here again, he calls it into existence. God said here in verse 24 of these words, he says, let the land produce. Then he says what he wants to create. Back in Romans, the apostle Paul was talking about 
We were speaking of Abraham and his faith in God, and he says in Romans chapter 4, verse 17, these words, he says, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. So God is calling these things into being. He is forming them, and it didn't, it didn't exist. If it didn't exist, he called it into being. And God has already added the birds and the things that swim in the sea. But now he gets to, the, to form those things that people can see on land. We don't have to dive into the ocean and see these things or wait for a whale to pop out or a dolphin to pop out of the ocean uh, to see them. But, and we find that uh, uh, some important things. He forms these living creatures according to their kinds. Could you imagine how he formed cows with four stomachs? Uh, so they could have good digestion. Interesting to think, why would anybody need four stomachs? I, that's just a lot of stomachs. And so here's a cow. Then he designs them with a tail. Why did he give them a tail? Well, it's nice because with the tail, the cow can take that thing and get the flies off, right? And also, if it's a milk cow, then the dairyman can be milking, you know, of course, we don't do that like that anymore, but he could be there and the tail could swat the guy in the face, right? All those kind of fun things. And then you have camels. Great animal, right? Interesting animal. These guys can go about 100 miles without having to get a drink of water. And they are a tough animal. But if you look at them, they are weird looking. And have you ever looked at one of their feet? It's like they got these two toes sticking out. They got fur over their feet, and then they—and I know there's different kinds of camels, but then they got like two toenails, like hooves. They're just a weird-looking animal. Pretty cool, though. Be nice to them, and they'll be nice to you, right? Maybe. Just a weird, just a weird animal. Then there are goats especially those fainting goats. Anybody seen the fainting goats? You probably watched the video on Facebook, right? And I'm sure there's a million of those. But anyhow, the fainting goats, the, the fun that God must have had when he was creating all the animals on the earth had to have been good. That's all good, but then he created things like the honey badger. The honey badger has the Guinness Book of World's record, record title of world's most fearless creature. But they're more than just audacious. These guys are downright mean. They're invasive and eager to pick a fight even with a porcupine. That's a little crazy right there. We, uh, we had to talk to those guys. But worse than their meanness, they spray like a skunk. They also taste very unusual, just to let you know, because I've had experience with that, unfortunately, in West Africa. So, as we move on, so the account of the creation of the land creatures on the sixth day really distinguishes two different types of the living creatures that he created and then the man, mankind as well. But then he divides the land creatures into three different groups. He's got livestock and creatures that move along the ground, and then he also has wild animals. And mankind is distinguished as, uh, they are distinguished as male and female female in verse 27. He's very plain about that. 
And, and you would, if, if you compare the plants and animal creation, there seems to be a slight difference between them and how God uh, dealt with them. It seems that God wanted to show that through uh, the command was, uh, though, the, though the command was the same for the creation of both vegetation and for the animals, uh, there was a distinction between the two forms of life. Well, we understand that life is in the blood in the sense of uh, the animal kingdom and humanity. It, it reminds me uh, that God in his creation uh, shows us that there are levels of responsibility, even levels of value as well in his creation. But the, and you've got to follow along with me. The Bible teaches us there is a difference between the value of a blade of grass and a German shepherd. Uh, it's one thing to mow the lawn. It's another thing to mow your German shepherd. Please do not do that. Uh, be considerate, right? Uh, something must be, uh, we, we must remember something here, that God values everything that he's created. He values all of it. Even after he created the livestock and those things that moved along the ground, he's, he still reminded us over in verse 25 some very important things. He said, it says, and God saw that it was good. Later in the, in the book of Exodus, uh, God taught his people how they were to care for animals, yet animals too were accountable to men and to God. You can look at it over in Exodus 22 and 23. You'll see what the scripture talks about and how, how the order of things was to go. But this morning we're going to look at Exodus chapter 23 verses 4 and 5 and it says this. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. If you see the donkey or someone who hates you fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help them with it. Really, in some sense, this is a great way to point out the value of the, of the animals. And the, But some would think that, what does it matter? I don't care for this person anyway. I don't care at all, so I can do whatever I want to and just let those animals go. It just doesn't matter. But that's not quite true. We all have responsibility in the world that we live in and the, this world that God created. Now, you know, many of you know, I grew up on the farm raising animals on the farm. We had cattle. We had pigs. We were diversified. We had, a, we had some cats. We had a, a dog or two and, and the occasional gerbil. And, you know, those kind of things. I'll never forget one time my family was coming home from church as we drove by the neighbor's house. And you probably heard this story before. We're driving by the neighbor's house and we get to this one place in the road where a creek runs underneath of it. And, and we see the neighbor lady and she's looking down into a hole in the road. And in that hole uh, was a lamb. And the lamb evidently had got away and gotten fell in the hole. And so we stopped, we rolled our window down, we checked with her to see what was wrong, why she was looking at a hole in the ground. And, uh, and she told us what was taking place. And so she said, the lamb is down there. So we just said, oh, okay. And then we just left, right? No, we didn't do that. <laughs> we, we didn't leave. We got out of the vehicle and helped her because she couldn't get the animal out. So we helped her get the animal out and went on from there. 
Sure, we, we value creation, animals, plants, uh, God's given those to us, but there's, there's more to valuing creation than this, and we're going to visit that a little bit later here this morning. But, but you know it's interesting that God created all these things, and the different creatures that went along on the ground, and that includes that creepy crawly stuff like lizards and snakes, and I don't like snakes, and, and uh, I just don't care for them. But uh, although we know they have purpose, right, they may they eat rodents, they may eat bugs and whatever they eat and all that kind of stuff. God has a purpose for everything that he created. Before the fall of mankind into sin, we find God said this uh, about the serpent or snake, and I think we have to keep this in context here. In, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had to mate. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And we don't have time to talk about all the details of this, the ins and outs of this old serpent. But the old serpent tends to represent Satan and, uh, and or as some would say the devil. And here for the first time, mankind faces something. They face opposition. They face serious opposition, and this opposition forced mankind to make a decision. As difficult as it is to say, opposition can be good for us. God allowed the enemy to be in the garden. It was, it was necessary so that we would have a will and be, and be forced to make a choice in life. And you really can't become who God wants you to be without some opposition in your life. Opposition is going to happen no matter what you do, where you go. And you really want to be who God has called you. It's going to force you to take action and to make biblically moral decisions or choose to make decisions based on the culture that is around you, which is not always right. Opposition often becomes the opportunity for us. Knowing we have an enemy makes us healthier. It keeps us on our best game. Could, could you imagine traveling to a basketball game and not even knowing who your opponent is going to be? Uh, not knowing what they, how they play, not knowing what kind of defense or offense they play and all those kind of things. I, I'm not a basketball guy, but could you imagine what it's like in any kind of sport going up against another team? You need to be able to know what they're like. Maybe you're going to check the video out. Maybe you're going to go watch them at some point and see how they play. But uh, you need to build a game plan and how to work uh, uh, against these guys because they're an opposing team. Opposition makes us live differently. Opposition can make us pray better. It causes us to focus on what really matters. It helps us to set aside those things that don't matter right now. You know, sometimes it's an issue of priority and an issue of timing certain things, and so we understand that. But it pushes us to be able to talk to God about where we go from here. Have you ever been in that place where you say, God, I don't know what to do at this point. I need, I need some direction at this point. That's very normal. If you've said that, then you're probably a human being. Uh, opposition, if, if accepted, uh, well, uh, can advance the kingdom of God as well. What challenge do you need accept? Do you need to accept from your opposition? 
I'm not sure where you're at today. Maybe you need to make, take on that challenge that the opposition is giving to you today. All right, let's move to this next part. And I'm going to call this day six and a half. Uh, 6.5. And so really, this is a big day. You know, this is a big part of the day. God's created all these other things. And and this was actually the crowning moment of creation. This is kind of like the princess, uh, the prince kissing uh, Sleeping Beauty, right? It's a big deal. So look with me to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And let's read through this and see what he says. It should be on the screen for you. And it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the the creatures that move along the ground. So then he says, verse, verse 27, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Now that, that word subdue is uh, in the New, New Living Translation, I think it says govern, which means to govern, to make subordinate, dependent, Uh, subservient. And then he goes on to say here in the next verse, um, rule, or the next part, he says, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And of course, rule, uh, rule there means to exercise authority over. Then in verse 29, he says this, then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the air and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And this was so. Verse 31. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Not kind of good, not partially good, not somewhat good. It was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So there are a few things that we need to note about about day six here as we look at this passage. First of all, we see that humans were created in God's image. This wasn't something God said in passing. Genesis records it uh, in a distinct way. Several times he talked about mankind being created in God's image uh, or in God's likeness. And this, ver- this is really important for us as a follower of Jesus. We need to recognize that it's important that you were created in his image, not in the likeness of some of the other creatures that God had created. It's not the same. They're totally different. We all have blood, but we're, we're, we're different. There's some different things about us. The creation of man is set apart from the previous acts of creation by a series of contrasts with the, with the early creation acts, the things he created, the form. There's, there's at least three or four things we want to look at real fast. First, in verse 26, the beginning of creation uh, of man is marked by the usual and God said. Okay, that's good. However, God's command that follows is not impersonal. He's like he said in the other things where he said, and let there be. But instead, the more personal, he said, let us make. Second, 
Earlier, he made each creature according to its kind. All these other animals, the snake and the lizard, the dog and the pig, all those kind of things, uh, according to their kind. But when he created man, he specifically said that man and woman were made in our image or in God's image, not just according to their kind. Man's image is not simply of himself, nor is it like an ape. Although we may look like them a little bit, but still, we are not like it, not an ape. And he shares a likeness with his creator. Humanity shares its likeness with his creator. He says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. The third thing is here is the creation of man is specifically noted in verse 27 as male and female. He's very, very particular here. But here, here didn't, he didn't consider gender as important to emphasize when he created the other life forms, not that it wasn't there, but for humanity it shows uh, its great importance. But because of this, Genesis puts a stress on the fact that God created man as male, female. Fourth, only mankind has been given dominion in God's creation. That's, that's the reality. That's, what God, that's how God set it up. And, and this dominion is specifically to be over all the other living creatures, the sky, the sea, the, the, the land, the creatures. Uh, if, we see, if we ask why God singled out man's creation this way, one obvious answer is that he intended to show mankind as a special creature, marked off from the rest of God's works marked off from the rest of God's creation. So man and woman are the image bearers of God, and they were created to rule, and this matters. It means that we have the responsibility to rule and to govern in this earth. It also means that there are levels of accountability and value. Morals are very important. Like I said er earlier, the Bible would, uh, would teach there's a difference between the value of a blade of grass and a German shepherd. Yet it goes further than this because we, must, we, we need to revisit what people say now in comparison to what God says in His Word. Let's pull out a little study here for fun. Psychologists at, at Georgia uh, Regents University explored circumstances in which people value animals over human lives. And in the study, they, they checked they, uh, they, uh, check with about uh, 573 people. They were asked to participate in, in a, a series of scenarios in which a dog and a person were in the path of an out-of-control bus. And so what, what, are, what are the bystanders going to do at this point? Okay, this is an actual study, okay? Psychologists did this one. And the decision to save the person or the dog were affected by three factors. The first one is, is who the person in danger was. I said it's kind of interesting when, when God earlier in Exodus talked about, he kind of threw it up as, uh, threw the idea out that, uh, are you going to take care of the donkey of the person that's your enemy? Okay, so let's get back to this. So who the person in danger was, people were more likely to save the dog over a foreign tourist than their best friend or sibling. That is messed up. That is broken. The second factor was the dog. 
40% of participants said they would save their pet at the expense of a foreign tourist. That is nearly half of those, 40%. A human being, sure we love our pets, but where is the value of the things that God has created? Only 14% claimed they would sacrifice the tourists when the animal in the scenario was described generically as a dog. Oh yeah, a dog, you know, a dog went out. Okay, whatever. Uh, that's kind of the way it was dealt with. And finally, women care more about animals than men do uh, in this study. And in the, in the runaway bus scenario, female, uh, females were nearly twice as likely as males to say they would save a dog over a person. That's interesting. That surprised me. We do live in a, a moral, uh, inconsistent world that we live in today. And here's where we need to step back and consider the value of human life into comparison to other kinds of life. Now, Job is considered one of the oldest books in the Bible, somewhere around 2000 B.C. I don't know exactly, and uh, they don't know. But, uh, but anyhow, he says in Job 31, verse 15, as it says it on the screen for you, it says, Did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one form us both within our mothers? And many years later, about 1000 B.C., the Psalm, uh, Psalm 139.13 says this, For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. He's saying God was there. God was there. Every person matters. And here comes a difficult question for us then. How can you value the life of an animal or a plant more than a human life? Well, you can't do it biblically. Some, some care less for the, the human and the animal that gives uh, unconditional loyalty. We, and that's a great thing, right, to have an animal that, that, that loves you no matter what. But how, how could a person uh, uh, give, uh, allow to put their value on the animal over the person? Only if their moral system is based outside of the principles of God's Word, if, if it's based on popular culture or non-biblical religion, well, they may do that. I, I can see how people do that, but that, that's not what the revelation of God teaches. That's not what the Word of God teaches. And we know that after the fall in the garden, mankind ate animals. We know that. In fact, we, we, we're pretty sure we see the first one uh, animal losing his life in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, Genesis 3, after the fall of man, and uh, God uh, took animal skins and gave that to his people, considered one of the first covenants in the, in the Old Testament. And, uh, and, and, it says, and it says in Genesis 9-3, where God said to Noah these words later on, He says, everything that lives and moves about will be food for you, just as I gave you the green plants. But the value of, of a human is above all others because we are made in God's image. We are image bearers of God. You are an image bearer of God. Each person, whether they are 105 or whether they are five days, they are an image bearer of God. Then we could ask another difficult questions. Don't you like hard questions? How can you value a timber rattlesnake, which is a protected species, 
more than an unborn child? Those are questions we have to ask in the world that we live in. We live in a confused world. People have come to the place to value, incon or to value convenience, and even some pets and animals over people. Some even use different forms of ethics to try to cover up their views, to make themselves feel good, or to, uh, to say, oh yeah, this is right, or this is good. But ultimately, we must understand that God created mankind male and female in his image and he did not say only a male or only a female and he also didn't uh, he did not exclude the unborn child many people have decided that the only person they value is a person that they can see in front of them it's, it's like they have confused themselves to think that the unborn are not valuable they have misunderstood the message of God, and some even have a claim to faith. Uh, but they have overlooked God's view of life, and that's why it's so important for us as followers of Christ to be able to step back and get into the Bible, get in the Word of God, and allow it to direct our lives so that we can live in God's way. I remember last year, Pam Dagwell, a missionary that was here that I worked with in West Africa, he was here and he spoke to the church and he shared about how his daughter, uh, without, without her own choice or acceptance, uh, faced the dilemma of having a child. And, uh, and she was young, but for their family, they valued life as God's word teaches. And they chose to raise up that child in the image of God. They had alternatives. They were available for them there. I know because I've walked people through some of that over there. They faced the road ahead with faith and courage because every human is valuable. Chapter 1, verse 28 here says this, and uh, it says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. God gave his image-bearing people the responsibility to have kids and to increase and to subdue the earth. That's part of, part of God's plan. And to subdue or rule is really not a negative thing, right? It's not a negative thing. And that was he, was given that, he gave that command before the fall of mankind. And now we have to hold uh, this authority in check that we have after the fall, right? Then in verse 31 he says this, God saw that all that he had made and it was very good. Leads us to the final day in which we have. We don't have a lot of time to deal with. Day 7. Day 7. The day of rest. Genesis chapter 2 uh, verses 1 to 3 if you want to turn there with me. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So he had spent all this time in that week creating, forming things by the word of his mouth. And after he caps that off, he's made humanity, he's made mankind. And now he says, okay, that's enough work for me for this time. And he kicks back, so to speak, and he spends some time just resting. And here are some thoughts about the, 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 the day of rest. 
We forfeit peace when we keep working. We have to trust that God can make up the work that we aren't doing when we rest. This day allows the Lord to bless the previous six days that we have had and then the, uh, the coming six days that's in front of us as well. We, and we can't have a Sabbath without stopping, right? That's why we're here. I know this isn't the technical Sabbath day. Sabbath is on a Saturday. It actually starts from Friday evening to Saturday evening. I know that. But we celebrate on the Lord's Day after, after His resurrection. And so, but, but we realize we have to have that time that we set back can we rest a little bit? You have to stop worrying sometimes and cast your cares on the Lord. That's another way sometimes we can rest. Rest our minds and let the Lord take care of things. You may need to stop doing what you can do and release it to God. Maybe that's something that you have to do in your life. In Mark chapter 2, it tells us in my wording that the day of rest was made for man, not man for the day of rest. That's Jesus' words, only he said Sabbath. It help, helps you to get, the play, get to the place where you can hear God's voice. Imagine what it was like for Elijah when Elijah was taking that time to deal with the prophets of Baal and, and all the false teachings they were dealing with. And he gets through all that scenario and he's now he's running for his life and he, and he gets away and he's a totally flat out exhausted. And the Lord takes care of him, gets some food to him, provides for him and, and lets him get built back and gets some energy and he kind of wakes up for a while goes back to sleep, wakes up for a while and then, and then finally as he's resting there he's waiting on God what do I do at this point? See we have to block off the noise of the week at times only to be in that quiet place of worship. 1 Kings 19 when Elijah's there, he's waiting on God, and it, said, and it says there was a big wind that came, there was an earthquake that came, and then there was a fire. God wasn't in any of those big noises. And then after the fire came, a gentle whisper, the Scripture says. The Lord was in that gentle whisper. We need to have those times where we engage and interact with our Heavenly Father, where we take that time with Him and allow Him to speak in our lives and restore our lives. As, as we come to the close of this creation series this morning, as we cap it off with this day of rest, remember this key truth. The Word of God tells us in Hebrews a couple things. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And we understand that what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that rest is in Christ. It's in the Messiah, the one who came to give life for us. And he goes on to say, for we do not have a high priest, talking about Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy, and find grace to help us in our time of need. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm not sure where you're at in your walk with the Lord. I'm not sure how things are going with you. Only you know in the sight and the presence of the Lord where you are with Him.
I can see you on the outside. I can interact with you unless the Lord tells me something. The fact is, is we all need Him. We all need to be willing to put ourselves in a place where we come to Him boldly before the throne of grace with confidence, not based on the good works that we've done and all those things. That stuff's just all trash. But based on what Jesus has done for us on the cross, Jesus gave his life on the cross so that we could have a right relationship with the one true living God. He gave his life so that we might live. If you want rest in your life, Sabbath is part of that. But ultimately, it's the Sabbath that only Christ can provide. Because Jesus said these words, and I shared this a couple weeks, a few weeks ago. Is Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Today, put your faith and your trust in Christ, who has an easy yoke. His burden is not too much. All you have to do is put your faith and your trust in Him. Turn your life over into His hands and then allow Him to help you to sort it out day by day. But don't stop. Don't stop going. Keep trusting. Keep walking with Him. Allow Him to minister to your life. Allow Him to speak into your life because He wants to work in you. He wants to transform you. He wants to give you hope. He wants to bring healing in your life. He has a plan for you.